Let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. I trust that this church is committed to obey the God that we have considered so far today from various angles and different places in the Bible so that what comes next is not going to be true of us, but was true of them. But the warning should be there to keep us sober. Deuteronomy 32, the next section is verses 15 through 18. But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Amen and amen to the words of God, but horrors to what those words convey to us about this ungrateful generation, this ungrateful nation that Moses addressed before he died. Jeshurun is a nickname used a few times in the Bible for the nation of Israel. They waxed fat, they got prosperous, and they kicked in rebellion. Then they forsook God and lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation. This is the greatest threat that we have. It is the prosperity and pleasures, the peace and protection, the power of America that makes us haughty, arrogant, and can cause us to forget God. But it is God that gave us all these things, and it is God that will punish us for being disrespectful to Him, ungrateful for them, and not obeying His commandments. The perilous times of the last days do not have all the things in them that people think belong in perilous times. The three Ps aren't in the perilous times, because God doesn't care about the three Ps. The real threats to Christians are not the three Ps. The real threats to Christians are pleasures and prosperity and fatness, so that we forget God and we turn away from sound doctrine to want to hear fables. And so it happened to Israel. And we know it happened because we we have read the history of Israel in the Bible, and so much of the Bible is committed to that history. Kicking is rebellion and stubbornness against God by confidence and circumstances. You're confident of yourself. You're confident thinking you have your life under control. Or you look at your circumstances and say, my circumstances are good. I've got a good job. I live in America. There's good unemployment insurance, or at least there was. And so I'm covered, I'm covered, I'm covered, and we get arrogant and we, get ki- and we kick. Remember, Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus, why kickest thou against the pricks? Because the Lord Jesus had been goading him with little pricks like you did with an oxen. And we, we, it could have been at the stoning of Stephen. It could have been in other circumstances. And the Saul of Tarsus kicked against them. But when the Lord met him, he stopped kicking. And I hope the Lord's met with all of us, and we've already stopped kicking. Right. And that we, don't, we want to just kick the old self out and have the new self in there to remain forever in our homes. Let's make a practical and helpful distinction of forsaking God and lightly esteeming Him in this 15th verse. So you know the first half. That's easy. Jeshuan waxed fat. Israel got prosperous, and they kicked rebelliously against God's commandments. 
the second half says he forsook God which made him and lately esteemed the rock of his salvation. Let's not be guilty of either. Now you would say to me, I'll never forsake the Lord. Okay, I'll let you have it. But how about this one? And lately esteemed the rock of his salvation. Let's never lately esteem God. Lately esteeming him is begrudging coming to church. Lately esteeming him is not singing with all your might when it's time to sing. Lately esteeming him is not delighting in him and being excited about him. Because if you're highly esteeming him, all those things are going to be positive and powers in you to want to be very emphatic and very expressive of your love for him, full of zeal. If you don't have zeal, then you're lately esteeming him. He's a God of zeal. He has said that he would save you by his zeal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He said in Isaiah 9 and verse 7, so we should have zeal. So when I read a verse, like verse 15, and I understand the first half and all of its uses of fat, 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 and fatness, okay, okay, I've got that. But what about the second half? Forsake God, I won't do it. I won't forsake God and start worshiping Buddha. I won't forsake God and start worshiping Mormon, the Mormon religion. I won't forsake God and for anyone else. But could I lightly esteem him? So you barely make it to church. So you barely participate while you're there. You're lightly esteeming him. So you don't talk about him when you're out of here. So you're lightly esteeming him. Let's make sure we highly esteem him at all times. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. Our God is a jealous God. And to worship another God is spiritual adultery or whoredom, as the Bible describes many times, and it made God angry. And we know that. And false religion is worship of devils, as verse 17 tells us, which 1 Corinthians 10, 20 also tells us. The Gentiles do not know when they worship anyone other than the creator God of heaven that they're worshiping devils. The devils have given the idea. The devils are behind those idol gods. And so they are worshiping the devil. And so we want to hate every bit of false religion. And you say, well, we're Christians, so how could we end up worshiping the devil? How about this one? 2 Corinthians 11, the first four verses say, I fear that as, the, as Satan beguiled Eve by his subtlety in the Garden of Eden, so your minds should be corrupted by the same being from the simplicity that is in Christ. So what you heard on Wednesday evening was to protect you from devil worship because they are the devil's lies. Right. Another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel are from the devil. Because if you jump ahead 10 verses to verses 13 through 15, it tells you that they are the ministers of Satan. They appear as angels of light, but they're ministers of Satan. So it's the devil and his false Christianity that we want to stay away from as well. And yes, I'm taking Deuteronomy 32 and applying it to our lives and not just looking at their lives because I don't think any of you have a fat Buddha in your backyards. Of the rock that begat thee, and there's rock again with a capital R, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Let's never do that. The doctrine that we had in verse 2 and the praise in verse 3 and the conviction in verse 6 and the remembering in verse 7 are crucial for our faithfulness. Let's not be unmindful of him. The Bible likes to say things about the mind He that is spiritually minded has life and peace, and he that is carnally minded has death. And belly worshiper is someone that is earthly minded, or they mind earthly things. 
The Bible, what do you think about? Let's think about things to give thanks for. Every other thought is destructive. There's no virtue in thinking. Unless you're letting the Bible guide your thoughts. Thinking gets you in trouble. You start thinking, well, I'm behind. I have reason. My life is just pitiful. I just feel horrible. You just talk yourself down in a, in a circle into oblivion. You're flushing yourself. You're giving yourself a swirly. However you want to describe it. Don't do it. Stop thinking and start thanking. If you want to think, think through the Bible. Think God's thoughts and let Him direct your thoughts. There are thoughts of self-examination, but thoughts of self-examination do not end up in hopelessness. Thoughts of self-examination end up in faithfulness. It's terrible. I'm as good at it as anyone. We're all good at it. And once I start, I can think of a thousand reasons to justify it and that I should be unhappy. But I want to arrest it every time that it starts, and I want to praise and give thanks instead. And so this word, the word that bothers me in verse 18 is being unmindful or forgetting him. And so we don't want to do that this week. And this is why God has given me Deuteronomy 32. Let's not be unmindful of him. I want you to see it everywhere. You know, at break time, the break was short. But you know, we have a historian in the church, and I got him up here and lubricated him just a little bit to get talking. And so our historian, J-E are the initials, went off on a few things. Do you know how close Islam came to taking Europe? Early on in their history, and just a couple hundred years ago, under the Ottoman Empire, They made it way into Europe. And it could have been Islam everywhere, but it wasn't. How about the Spanish Armada? We talked about that at break time. You know what the Catholic king of Spain said? It was an act of God. Do you know what we say? Amen. (laughs) But it was for our protection. What about the gunpowder plot? What about Dunkirk? What about Midway? Every one of these events, we thank and praise the Lord for them. Let's not be unmindful of him. He's done some incredible things in recent history. Incredible things. Thank you, Lord, for that. The election in 2016 was pretty incredible. At least you thought it then, but now you're presuming on it. And you think God owes it to us again in 2020? He didn't owe it to us in 2016, and he doesn't owe it to us in 2020 because the nation as a whole is not better in 2020 than it was in 2016. In fact, it's worse. All you have to do is look around. Let's not rebel and kick against God. So we come to the next section, verses 19 through 25. God's vengeance on Israel for their rebellion. And I hope this is never true of us, but it it can be true of you. And so I get to exhort you and I get to warn you like Moses did Israel before he died. Verse 19, and when the Lord saw it, what did he see? Their fatness and their rebellion and that they were no longer mindful of him and they had forgotten him. When the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. Now get that. We're not talking about the Hittites, are we we here? His sons and his daughters, he abhorred them. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. They have moved me to jealousy 
with that which is not God, they have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy. With those which are not a people, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap mischiefs upon them, I will spend mine arrows upon them. They shall be burnt with hunger, and devoured with burning heat, and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them, and the poison of serpents of the dust. The sword without, and terror within, shall destroy both the young man and the virgin, the suckling also with the man of gray hairs. This is the word of the Lord. When the Lord saw it, he abhorred them, because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. You can provoke the Lord to anger. You can provoke the Lord to despise you. You can provoke the Lord to chase you down in vengeance because you have provoked him to anger by loving something else. See, we don't put a a big belly Buddha in our backyards, but we flirt with the things of this world. And the Lord calls that spiritual adultery, just like he called idolatry spiritual adultery in the Old Testament. So that it says in James chapter 4 and verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses. He is not talking about sexual infidelity. He is talking about spiritual infidelity. Because he goes on to say, you're the friends of the world, and by being the friends of the world, you're the enemies of God. Because the world is the enemy of God. So when we love God or find our delight in the world, when we love the world or we find our delight in the world, then we are the enemies of God because we are flirting with his enemy. Which is the high... If you think about that very long at all, it's the height of ingratitude and it's the height of impunity on your part to do such a thing and he should be provoked to anger and punish us. Verse 20, we have a lot of verses to cover. Let's, you're not going to do any of these, are you? I just want you to know, play with him. It's a losing game. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very forward generation, children in whom is no faith. You never want God to say that about you. I will hide my face from him. I will hide my face from her. You do not want that to happen because you can't find him when he does that. The repentance that's going to be required of you is is severe, and he's going to have to grant you the grace to even be able to do it. And God did this at times with some of his greatest men. He did it with David. He withdrew himself from David and turned him over to Satan, and David numbered Israel. He withdrew himself from Hezekiah to show what was in Hezekiah's heart, and Hezekiah showed the ambassadors of Babylon the treasures in the house of the Lord. He did it to Peter. When, Peter desired, when, the, when the devil desired to have Peter, the Lord let him have Peter for a little while. But we want this to be said about us. I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Verse 21, this is creative genius on the part of our God. Incredible creative wisdom. They've moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. Where is this quoted in the Bible? Cross-center references should tell you. Romans 10. 19. And then much of Romans 11. This is so creative. And it's in Deuteronomy 32, and it's about the conversion of the Gentiles. They have moved me to anger with that which is not God. 
they have picked some little idol and are worshiping it instead of me. Well, I'm going to pick a people that are just as bad as that dumb little idol. I'm going to pick some Gentiles and I'm going to convert them and I'm going to provoke those. Is that creative? That is beautiful. When you read the Bible, do you find the beauty in the Bible? Don't check off a box. Check off the beauty. They have moved me to jealousy. I know it's the third or fourth time. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. That's what God thinks of us Gentiles. We ain't even a people. But he loved us and provoked them to jealousy. They provoked me to anger with their vanities. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Did it anger the Jews to see the Gentiles converting in large numbers under Paul's ministry? Oh, yes, it did. Do you remember when he was preaching a sermon in Acts chapter when he was on trial for his life, and they were shouting amen, verse after verse after verse, and he gets to one word. What is the one word that caused them to start throwing dirt in the air and wanting to pull him apart? Gentiles. Well, that's the fulfillment of verse 21. Right. A fire is kindled in mine anger. Fire is one of the most destructive things that there is in life, and so the Bible uses it throughout as a symbol at times and as a real thing at times of God destroying. He's going to burn up this earth and melt it with fervent heat because fervent heat does incredible damage to all elements. And so we'll see what happens. I mean, it's going to be terrible. And so he uses fire as destroying things deep, things high, and everything in between. Hit the lowest hell. David said the Lord had delivered him from the lowest hell. That does not mean what you think it means. There is not an elevator in hell. And if you're really bad, you have to push button 24 and you're going to go to the 24th hell. And there's only 25 on the scale. That is, hell in the Bible is grave, death, trouble in the earth. And so David would pray uh, in Psalm 86 and 13, thou hast delivered me from the lowest hell. That did not mean that David had gone to hell, the lake of fire, and God had pulled him back up out of it. It just meant that he was in serious trouble and felt that he was already in the grave and dead and it was curtains for him. So uh, I'm giving you that explanation as we try to race on with uh, this passage. Verse 23, I will heap mischiefs upon them. If you want to provoke God to anger, he'll heap mischief on you. It won't be one, it won't be two, it'll be many. It'll be successive, it'll be a large number. I will heap mischiefs upon them. I will spend mine arrows upon them. When someone spends their arrows, how many arrows are left in the quiver? None. Because he has spent all that was in his pocket or his quiver. This is the Lord. This is the Lord speaking about his people. Let us never be unmindful. Let us never kick. Let us not forget. Let us shout praise. Let us tell the next generation. Let us tell the generation up. Brother, save that father of yours. No one knows. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's do what we can. Look at that verse 23. This is about how God can deal with his church. Corinth, what happened? Many were sickly. I need another word. Weak. And many were dead. Many were already sleeping. That's heaping mischiefs and spending his arrows. They shall be burnt with hunger, devoured with burning heat, and with bitter destruction. Notice the adjectives. Yes, it's a song. And so there's a lot of flowery language, but burnt with hunger. How hungry is that? Devoured with burning heat. 
What kind of heat is that? Bitter destruction. That means painful, cruel, and really messes with you. Right. How about the teeth of beasts? Wild beasts with teeth. You can look at it now on YouTube. You can see a lion with a little baby antelope. It's not pretty. Teeth of beasts, poison of serpents of the dust. That's where snakes live. The Lord said in the dust you're going to spend your time wiggling around. And it's the poison of poisonous snakes. This is what the Lord says He will do if we forget Him and we don't give thanks. And we're unmindful of Him and we forget the rock of our salvation. We need to remember and we need to consider the generations before us and all that God has done and shout His praise. I don't want to go off on history. I just want to bust out. and just, there's, so many, there's so many things to thank the Lord for. Amen. The, the, the history of my life. Why was there a closet Calvinist? Why did he know what books to give me? Why did he give me the books when he never said anything to anyone? Bigger, bigger issue yet. Why did somebody read them? Why did he not just read them, but he outlined them? He had never outlined anything in his life. All glory to God. It's all glory to God. And every one of you can think of things that happened in your life. Oh, verse 24 is terrible. But verse 25 is worse. The sword without and terror within. The Lord knows how to mess you up and destroy you from the inside out. The Lord knows how to discourage you, defeat you, take away your hope, and make your life frustrating and miserable. If you don't put Him first, and keep Him first, and put Him very first, and put Him very high, the sword within, the sword without, and terror within shall destroy both the young man and the virgin, the suckling also with the man of gray hairs. God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care about your age. God does not care about children. He does not make a distinction about children and adults. Right. And he doesn't care about sex. He will punish you if you're a girl and you don't give him the attention that you should. That's the virgin. The suckling is an infant and there's a man of gray hairs. God doesn't care if you've lived well for many years and now you've got gray hair. If you turn away from him, he can bring the sword without and tear within to destroy you. And God is not bad. Do you remember how we started out? It's verse 4. He is the rock, and he is perfect, and all his ways are judgment. There is no iniquity in him, and right and just is he. Amen. That is why it started out with that, because we are reading some horrible verses about how he treats his people, but his people deserve to be treated this way, and he does it in judgment and justice and holiness for their profit if they'll humble themselves beneath it and repent, which Israel would do after 20 or 40 years under some foreign persecutor, and God would raise up a judge. Isn't that the book of Judges? Raise up a judge. They'd last as long as he lived. Then they would tank again. And he'd raise them up with another judge. You know, I shared Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48 with you earlier today, which says that if you are not thankful for the abundance of all things, then he'll put a yoke of iron on your neck until he's destroyed you. It's perfectly consistent with that right here. We need to be mindful of him. Today, Thank Him and shout His praise for everything. If you put a burger in your mouth and the flavors touch your tongues and light you up, the Bible says that food lights you up. Jonathan dipped his rod into a little bit of a honeycomb and put it in his tongue after he hadn't eaten all day, and it says his eyes were enlightened. Shout the praise of God. Lord, thank you for all this food. Where do you want to go next, family, for another flavor profile? Just praise the Lord for everything. 
If it's not sunny, if it's not sunny out there today, thank him for the cloud cover. If it's sunny, thank him for the sunshine. If it's 68, thank him that it's almost 70. If it's 72, thank him that it's better than 70. Thank him for everything. Honestly. Amen. You know. Everything. Did you hear Zach this morning? Did you hear him making fun of the weight of my pages? I started playing with it, seeing if I could figure out how much this page weighs. Did you hear him this morning? But do you know what's on this page? Weighty things for my good. The greatest pleasure in life is praising God and delighting in him. Next section, limits of his vengeance. Oh, do you like the title of that section? Limits of his vengeance. And his vengeance is going to be limited at the beginning of this long section and at the end of this long section. It's verses 26 through 38, so I'm going to read you 13 verses. Deuteronomy 32, beginning at verse 26 to verse 38. I said, look at what I've just read to you. Sword without, terror within, burnt with hunger, bitter destruction, terrible stuff. They deserve it. He's the holy rock. He's their father. He found them in a waste howling wilderness. He led them. He instructed them. He treated them as the apple of his eye. Why do you requite him thus? We owe him a huge thing. We owe him everything. We owe him the best we can give him. But he knows that, and you should remember this from Isaiah. As I was studying this in the last 48 hours, I was hoping you'd remember from Isaiah that he knows that the souls cannot bear his judgment without limit. 57, 56, 59. We learned it. There's some great statements in there. Their souls would not be able to bear it if I unloaded fully on them. And we, we deserve it, but he doesn't. So here we go. Verse 26, I said, I would scatter them into corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord hath not done all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? For their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me and sealed up among my treasures? To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants when he seeth that their power is gone and there is none shut up or left. And he shall say, Where are their gods? their rock in whom they trusted, which should eat the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you and be your protection. 
And so that's the section that we have before us, 13 verses, and I have labeled it to, to make it very concise, the limits of his vengeance. Because he started out by saying, if I annihilate them, my enemies in Canaan, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, and the Hittites, and the rest of them, are going to say that they are strong and that they did it, and that Jehovah, because notice it's the Lord, they know Jehovah is different from their God, that Jehovah is not in the matter. And then he gets to the end, and we have the hope of verse 36, for the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants when he seeth that their power is gone. When he sees Israel desolated and captive in Babylon or captive in some other place or in some other situation, he'll have mercy upon them because he is merciful. And when he sees that they have been nearly wrecked completely, he'll pull them back together. So that's the 13 verses. And very quickly, you know, the Lord is speaking in verse 26. And by looking at this song, we get to go into the counsel of the Most High God and how he talks to himself. The Lord lets you into the heart of David. My soul, why art thou cast down within me? Does the Lord let you inside the heart of David? In Psalm 42 and 43, the Lord lets you inside the throne room of heaven. We've been there before. We've seen it in other places. I said, I would scatter them into corners. I would make the remembrance of them to cease from among men. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just annihilate them and start over. How many times did he tell Moses that? Stand back, Moses. Don't get singed. I'm going to burn the nation up and I'll start over with you. Right. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, Our hand is high and the Lord hath not done all this. This is holy reasoning and prayer. When you take God's own methods, he lets you know the secret holds that you can get on him and win in a wrestling match. He does not want anyone thinking they've done anything. Now you need to tell him, Lord, if you let this election go the way that they're trying to tell us that it's going to go, do you know how, do you know how arrogant and mouthy they're going to be? You need to remind him about things like that. He does not like it. And all the atheists and all the agnostics that side with the Democrats are going to look and say, see, God is in elections. God doesn't do anything in elections. He's, he's watching from a distance because even one of their own foolish singers sang that song. But you learn this right here. God doesn't want anybody to think that their hand is high. So Lord, humble them. And that's what we pray. Crush them under your wheel. But the Lord hasn't done it all, because he has done it all. And then look at his pity. Really. They're a nation void of counsel. Neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise. No, he, he, never said, he never prayed this for the Philistines. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end, that they would think what's happened to them, what's going to happen to them, what, what I turn against them because they've provoked me to anger, if they would just think about it. Brethren, are you thinking about it today? Are you thinking about it? Where do you put the Lord second in your life? It doesn't matter how close he is to first. If he's second, he's not first, and he knows the difference because he wants you to love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. And nothing else can compete with him. Right. And so here he is showing mercy on them. Be sure your sin will find you out is how you should understand the words if they would consider their latter end and think about what God deserting them is going to leave them in a terrible predicament. And, here, and so he explains it to them. Listen, when you're in battle and one of the enemy chases a thousand of you, something's wrong. 
When you're in battle and two of them put 10,000 of you to flight, the only way it can happen is if their rock had sold them because they lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation, so their rock sold them into the power of a foreign army. And the Lord had shut them up. They should know that. This is Israel's reversal of fortune from good to bad by virtue of their rock with a capital R selling them. God had promised Israel the opposite if they would obey. It's in Leviticus 26. In Leviticus 26, it's 10 of you will chase 10,000 of them because I'll be with you. But this is the reversal. That's how bad God can make it. You know, did we, did we get a little excited a few minutes ago about the power of America's military might? Oh, we need to be very careful because guess what? Someone else could bury us. Someone else could easily bury us when the Lord sells us. For their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. This is the Lord reasoning with them. Their rock, when you choose a foreign idol to be your God, it's a little R. And that little R has never done you any good. He never brought you out of Egypt. He never gave you the land of Canaan. He's nothing like your capital R rock, me, Jehovah. This is a song. This is a beautiful verse in the song. Little R, big R. For their rock is not as our rock. Our God that was given to us by our patriarch fathers is totally different from every other God in the land of Canaan. And he deserves a capital R. Even our enemies themselves being judges. Pharaoh, halfway through the plagues, his wise men come to him and say, we cannot duplicate this plague. It is the finger of God. The Philistines hear a shout, and it echoes across the countryside of the Israelites coming out to meet them in battle. And they find out that the shout is because the Ark of Jehovah is with them, and they recall a history lesson in school from 500 years earlier, a long time earlier, about God delivering Israel, a little tiny nation, out of the hands of Pharaoh and ruining the nation and destroying the army. And they said, oh, Philistines, get your courage together because we got to go face the worst thing we've ever... F-. I mean, it's just... Now, they, the Philistines won because they had been sold. Right. Whenever they were following the Lord, it was victory time. Whenever they weren't following the Lord, it was losing time. And it can be true for us as well if we're not careful. Even their enemies. What did Rahab tell the two spies that stopped at the best place in town to stop? If you're a spy in a foreign town and you don't want to be known. Where they don't give names or addresses. What did Rahab say to the two spies? Our total city and all of its leaders are totally terrified. They have no strength left. There is nothing left in them because of your God. Now you show me of mercy and you protect my family and me. And they said, well, hang a red rope, hang a red thread out your window. We'll, we'll see what we can do. And it's a great story in the Bible. She sent them out a different way and the magistrates arrived at her door and said, where are those men that were, well, they went that away. And she's in, the, she's, in James, she's in James 2 for that event as an evidence of justification by works. And she's in Hebrews 11. That is one great woman Rahab is. But the point being, 
I would love to. Rahab's a great woman. Rahab's a great woman. The point being, Jericho knew Israel's rock was not their rock. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? To know that our rock is not their rock? And so they had to watch those Israelites march around the city of Jericho once on the first day, once on the second day. What in the world's going on by the third day? Fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. And then the seventh day, oh, they're going to march around it twice today. No, no, no. Three times today. What are they blasting their trumpets for? You'll know in just a second. <laughs> Beautiful. Amen. You shout the praise of God. Their rock is not like our rock. Their vine is the vine of Sodom in the fields of Gomorrah. Wicked men, especially the Israelites. You know, Isaiah 1 taught us this. Isaiah 5 taught us this. They brought forth wild grapes. Look at this cup of wine in verse 33. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. So the Lord wants to have a drink of wine from his vineyard. And what's it like drinking? It's like drinking the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. That's a terrible way to describe a cup of wine. Don't use that if some guest... Or if somebody, if some host gives you a glass of wine and asks you, what does that taste like? Don't say poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. That's just, the language of this song is powerful and it's creative, but the, when the Lord tipped the glass that was from the vineyard of Israel, that's what it tasted like. Is not this laid up in store with me and sealed up among my treasures? Now that is the most obscure verse we've had so far. Is not this laid up in store with me and sealed up among my treasures. God has, with himself and in himself, perfect knowledge of men and his decrees. Does God have secret things that you don't know about? So are they part of his treasures? Are they laid up in store with him? Are they sealed in his vault that you can't get to them? Okay, that's what that obscure verse means because of what follows right behind it in verse 35. But let me say a few more things. God knows all, thus the rule implied in context, be sure your sin will find you out. The, the best sense of the verse is what follows, what belongeth to God. Notice verse 35, the third word, belongeth. If you mark your Bible, circle or highlight belongeth because it explains verse 34. Because God has secrets in his treasures, he has kept things to himself that no one knows. The destruction of Jerusalem in the day of it wasn't even known by the Son of Man, nor the angels of heaven, because it's God's secret. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Where, how distant is that verse from this chapter? It's Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The revealed things belong unto us and to our children, that we may do all the words of this law. Store and treasures, this is a song, refer to things that God owns and keeps to himself. The next verse identifies what God holds secretly, his soon vengeance on Israel. Here's the danger and the risk. Since God's timing of vengeance is secret, men presume. See, because it doesn't happen immediately when you sin, you think God approves. No, God doesn't approve. Remember Psalm 50? Because I kept silence, you thought that I was altogether such an one as thyself. But I will reprove thee and tear thee to pieces. Because I don't approve of the way you've been living. But I remain silent for a while. And so there is danger in that. Thus the warning in context for them to consider their latter end. 
Jesus warned of his coming in judgment to be like a thief, unsuspected by owners. Paul warned that the second coming of Jesus would also be like a thief in the night. It keeps us on our guard because we don't know when it's going to come because it's a secret with God. To me belong a vengeance, verse 35, and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. They can't see it. They're still having bumper crops. Everything's, the kids are graduating from high school. The kids are getting their driver's license. Their 401k is growing. They just feel comfortable with everything, but they're not living right. And they're provoking God to anger, but he's being silent for a while. And the only voice that's heard is the voice of conscience. The only voice that's heard is the voice of scripture. The only voice that's heard is the voice of the prophet. And those aren't anything compared to the news every day, compared to the talk shows every day, compared to your colleagues at work every day. That's, those, that's no noise. And so you've got to listen to the still small voice of God speaking inside you, God speaking through his word, and God speaking through his pulpit. And you better listen, because the other 164 hours a week, when you're out there with the world bombarding you with a message of its own, it's that everything is peachy and and you can just get on a trajectory and ride. Life is a journey. Enjoy the... What is... Was that Nissan? Dotson? Oh, Dotson tells everybody how old I am. Life is a journey, enjoy the ride. Is that? Okay, thank you. Then you get verse 35. See, God's got secrets. What's his secret about you? It's okay right now. You say, no, it's not. It's pretty bad. You have no idea how much worse he can make it. Sword without and tear within. To me belong a vengeance and recompense. That's his secret thing that he has that they didn't recognize. And so he's telling them, Think about your latter end. Where is this headed? If you keep up this kind of conduct, where is it going? What's going to happen to you? Think about it before it happens. Why don't you stop? Why don't you save yourself? Because I have a secret, and it's in the song, and it's right here. And he's got secrets for all of us if we ever turn against him. If we turn toward him, he also has secrets for us. He'll show us his covenant. If you want a psalm that is all about what God will show you and do for you, when you turn toward him, it is Psalm 25. I'll show them my covenant. I will let them know my secrets. Just a little side note. Their foot shall slide in due time. Mm-hmm. Seven words. The text by Jonathan Edwards for the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Right. Their foot shall slide in due time. Who sets the due time? Almighty God who has the date in his treasure, in his vault, stored up. And so he tells us, consider your latter end. Where's this headed? And I'm telling you, play with God. Lightly esteem him. Get discouraged about some stupid little things in life. In comparison to him, your end is going to be terrible. Sword without, tear within, burnt with hunger. Poison of asps. Is what you're giving God. For the Lord shall judge his people and repent himself for his servants. This is one of the this verse is so much like some of the verses that we had in Isaiah. And repent himself for his servants. He always does what is right. When he seeth that their power is gone, there is none shut up or left, he's going to have some mercy upon them. And he shall say, Where are their gods? Their rock in whom they trusted which did eat the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings. Let them rise up and help you. Be your protection. 
He's going he's gonna to provoke them with a message. Where's your gods now? This way of life that you've chosen, this religion that you've chosen, what good is it doing you now? And they're not going to have an answer. And so he'll deliver them by his own power, which was the last number of chapters in the 50s of, of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. I looked, I looked, and there was no intercessor, and there was no savior, and there was no man. So I brought salvation myself. I wish this was a weaker pulpit so I could have it repaired this week. (laughs) This is a solid pulpit. I saw that there was no intercessor. There was no savior. There was no man. So I brought salvation. We read it over and over in those chapters of Isaiah. There was no one left good enough to save Israel, so he saved them himself. You say, what about the five? That's the whole point that we know the five. The five are in the Bible to tell us that if they were alive, and Daniel was, they would only save their own souls and no one else's. That's how bad it was. The Lord shall judge his people. If you want to highlight a word in this verse, it's get the word and. And repent himself for his servants, because this is the transition right here, when he seeth that their power is gone, and there is none shut up or left. And he confronts them about the foolishness of their religion. Then he exercises himself to save them. And it brings us to the last section, verses 39 to 43. Five verses. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I whet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. And that is the end of the song. And it's a a thought and content at the end to rejoice over that now God has turned his glittering sword against their enemies and is going to have mercy on his land. He had punished punished the land for the sake of his rebellious people, but now he's going to have mercy upon them. Verse 39 in the first part of it is very important for you to understand that it ties into verse 12. When it says in the first part of verse 39, see now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. Your use of other gods had nothing to do with this. They did not help you. They did not hurt you themselves actively. I did it all. I blessed you and I made you great. I chastened you and made you small because I am the only God and there were no other gods with me. I alone do all these things. I kill and I make alive. And the fact that you're still alive is by my choice. I wound and I heal. This is a positive section because there's healing in it. Did you find any healing back there a ways? No. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. 
Your God did not bring about your deliverance. I brought about your deliverance. I brought about your blessing in the beginning. I brought about your chastening in the middle. And I am bringing about your healing by myself. It is all me. It is never those other gods. It's all me. It's beautiful. In agreement with the previous section, God isolated himself from their former gods, that it was all him. None can deliver out of his hand. His own when they're chastened, and his enemies when he chooses to destroy them. He uses enemies for a period of time, and then he destroys them. Gabriel, do you still like verse 40? For I lift up mine hand to heaven and say, I live forever. Gabriel's parents, this is one of his favorite verses in the Bible. If I ever mention in a sermon, I've got to deal with him one minute after I say amen. I lift up my hand. I like the verse too. Trust me. They know. How many times did I repeat it a week or two ago? I love this verse. This is my God. We don't have to be afraid of dying. He's in charge of life. He, he, took, he took dust and, and man became a living soul. And he can raise his hand to heaven and say, I, I live forever. And you should want me to get to the covenants of God because he is committed his life-giving, life-guaranteeing power for your life forever. Amen. An everlasting covenant. And we will get to it. Jesus would say, I'm alive forevermore. Verse 41, 42, 43, we read them on Wednesday evening. I wanted the church to read them and to think about these wonderful words, these metaphorical words, these beautiful word pictures that describe his sword, if I wet. Can you see the Almighty God, the Lord Jehovah, sitting down and taking a stone and sharpening the blade on his sword? If I whet my glittering sword and I decide it's time for judgment and mine hand take hold of that thing, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. It's going to happen. And when you read the news, it's going to happen. Right. You say, but when? It's in his vault. Remember? It's in his vault. It's the secret things belong to the Lord our God. We don't know when it's going to happen. You say, well, I wish it would happen sooner. Do not say that. Do you know why? Because the same mercy that he shows, he shows towards you. And you want him to hold that sword back as long as possible before he unleashes it on you. This is... My wife asks me often why judgment doesn't come sooner on a variety of persons. And I have the same answer I'm giving you right now. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. I want that mercy. I need that mercy. So if he shows a little bit of it towards someone else, okay. Because I want it toward me. And so we love his mercy. We don't want him to be the God of judgment all the time because then we're going to sin. And do we want the God? We want to meet the God of judgment then when we sin? No, we don't. We want the God of mercy that will gently tell us you know, I don't want to destroy them altogether. I can see that they're weak, that they, get, they got distracted. Do you know that God didn't hold the sins of David against David except for one? Right. And he had 12. There's 12 recorded in the Bible. You thank the Lord for the God of mercy. Amen. Because when he wets his glittering sword in his hand, everything that you read in the news, everything that you hear about, every single one of those persons, 
every single thing that they have done, everything that they're doing, their spirits inside them, their words outside them, their words of print, their lies, their defrauding, everything that they're doing, he doesn't miss a single bit. He's sharpening the blade on his glittering sword. And he will draw it soon. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives, from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. From the get-go, when I unleash this on, on my enemies, it'll be terrible and bloody from the beginning. So what do we do with all of it? What do we do with this song? Rejoice. Rejoice! You see, well, that was Moses. He was twisted to rejoice over something like that. No, he was prophesying. Remember, I've already told you this. He was prophesying because this verse is Romans 15, 10. Rejoice, Jews and Gentiles in the church at Rome. Paul wrote them. Paul hadn't visited them yet. He wrote all of Romans 14 because there were matters of Christian liberty that were splitting that church. Remember, half the church was Gentiles, half the church was Jews. And so he used this verse along with four others in rapid succession there in that section of Romans 15 because it says, Rejoice, O ye nations, that's us, Gentiles, with his people. It's a New Testament prophecy if, if it's seen in its perfection. Though Moses issued it, Moses was prophesying of the end result that when God was done with his nation and he had destroyed Babylon by the Persians, destroyed Persians by the Greeks, destroyed Greeks by the Romans, destroyed Romans by the Visigoths, there would be a church left and it would be made up of Jews and Gentiles. And so we get squeezed in here at the end. That's us. And Paul told, it, told us, it is us. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. He will avenge the blood of his servants, did he take care of pagan Rome? Has he taken care of papal Rome? Is he going to take care of all our enemies? Oh, yes, he is. He, he will avenge the blood of his servants. Those servants are under his altar and begging him for vengeance. And he is telling them, I just need a few more to get here and I'll pull the sword. And will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. So when judgment falls on America... I do not pray for it to fall, but when it falls, can God, does God know how to direct his sword? Yes. Oh, yeah. Can he bring it down and annihilate his enemies and be merciful unto his land and to his people? Oh, yes, yeah. he can. Yes, he can. Surgical, believe it. And then if you go to verses 44 through 47, Moses exhorted the people. Newell gave you these verses earlier. He exhorted them to teach this to your children make sure that you as families are obeying these things. And then the last five verses of the chapter are, Moses, go up into Mount Nebo. Take a peek at Canaan. I can't let you go. You didn't sanctify me. The Holy... When I read that, I say in my flesh it's unfair. All that Moses did for God, from killing an Egyptian in his first 40 years, to living on the backside of the desert, to putting up with that rotten church for 40 years, all that he did for him not to be able to go in the land of Canaan because he got upset and smote a rock instead of speaking to it and got angry? Are you serious? Yeah, you're serious because it's the Bible. Be serious with me. 
Do you know where I have to turn? In this chapter, where do I have to turn? Back to verse 4. Back to verse 4. But verse 4 settles everything. Verse 4, he is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. If you say to me, when Moses wrote verse 4, did he already know that he wasn't going to be able to see the land of Canaan and was going to die on this side of the river? Oh, yes, he did. Had he already asked God several times? Did God tell him, don't ask me again? Yes, yes. And he wrote that verse. That makes that verse so meaningful to, to cover everything that is described in this chapter, including the death of Moses. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word and the, the, the value of the preaching of his word is for us today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and of course Thursday, to remember not to be unmindful of him. Remember the rock. Consider the generations that have gone before and what God has done in finding us in a hollow, wasted, wasting place, leading us, instructing us, and keeping us as the apple of his eye. We, we have a few things to, to praise him for. Amen. Stand with me.